Alrighty, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the episode number 62 of the audio podcast uh, with the boys, sponsored by Auto Bros, as you can see from the uh, shut up sign at the back here that we have discussed in previous pods. Yeah, we said we were going to try and rejig the studio. Yeah. We're not happy with it. <laughs> no, we're, we're in transition phase at the moment, so we tried out some things this morning which were epic fails, so this is the best we've got at the moment. Uh, we will work on some things to make it more visually appealing to you uh, as we go through, but we're not going to go through the stuff that we normally do in regards to our days or our weeks from, from the last week because there is so much that's been going on. Mm. Uh, and I've got nothing to report anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, no, nothing's happened in our personal lives in the last week anyway. Yeah. Uh, there's that much stuff that's happening uh, in the world at the moment. So we're just going to get straight into it. So to, to sort of introduce it so you guys know what we'll be covering because this one might end up going long, potentially. Mm. Um we're obviously going to be discussing a lot of things. Uh, we're going to be discussing the current political resignations. Obviously, uh, after last week's wrapping of the podcast, we've literally walked outside to find out that Gladys Berejiklian had resigned. Yeah, we wish we had delayed <laughs> yeah. like a day or something. But even if we delayed a day, well, we would have missed out on John Barillaro's resignation yeah. on, on the Monday. So we have that to discuss. We have the current court case of the um, Kassam versus Hazard, which is reaching its, uh, well, it's basically up to decision time now in New South Wales mm-hmm. in the High Court, which you guys may or may not have heard about. We've got uh, the Queensland government and uh, the media's reporting on ramping issues and the issues with the Queensland hospital system not being ready for reopening. Yep. We've got uh, the uh, next week's, well, I mean, it'll be starting from when you guys watch this, next week's uh, Victorian IBAC, which is the Independent Bureau Against Corruption, uh, proceedings happening in Victoria from Monday. So we've got a hell of a lot to get into. And, oh, and at the end of this, based on our previous experience and some hunches we're going to make some predictions on where we see these things going to sure. from here so i know that you've written some notes was there a particular subject that you wanted to start on so i wanted to start well mine's kind mine's a mine falls into the prediction okay phase so let's cool. do the other stuff first so we'll come to it so let's start then with uh, new south wales and the political resignations that that have happened in the last week mm. so this is very interesting to me, and I'm. This is sort of part of the predictions part too. But I'm assuming you will see much more of this in the coming weeks and months from the other states. And so, essentially, you've had Gladys Berejiklian resign last Friday, uh, saying that the only reason why she's resigning is because she is now subject to an ICAC uh, investigation, and therefore she needs to step aside. ICAC being a Independent Commission Against Corruption. Now, what is interesting is a few things around this. Number one, the way that it's been portrayed by the media since then. I've heard a lot of media talking about how she's done the honourable thing uh, by choosing to resign uh, because she said previously that she would expect anyone else to do yeah, the same thing to not besmirch the position that's right and to because she's got so much respect for the new south wales people and the voters that she will resign even though um there's because there's obviously you don't want to question over the office now what is vo- most interesting to me about this is that this is the second icac commission that she has fronted she already fronted one over 12 months ago she didn't resign after that one yeah so she's inconsistent with what she has 
claimed and also the way that it's been reported. And also the timing of it too was that she resigned on the Friday before the uh, first part of, uh, not Freedom Day, but the first... Part of the, the next stage of the reopening yeah, yeah, yeah. was to occur. That's right. So a, a, um, a cynical person might say that perhaps uh, she may have been trying to hit a certain target for vaccine rollout before she jumped out. And that with that target well and truly in reach, she made the decision to jump before she was pushed. Playing devil's advocate, it could be it could be good cop, bad cop. It could be um, she's had to play the bad cop in doing like mm. mandates, uh, uh, lockdowns, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And then now you transition to someone that can start to be the good cop yeah. and, and open it all up. And it, could, it's very interesting that, that you say that too, because when, when you just like... The thing that you need to consider about politics, all of us have watched shows in the past like House of Cards and we've been fascinated by the games that are played in the background that they don't really tell you. Those those are real games that get played every single day. And one of the things that I noticed first up is that when she resigned, they've not only had a change in direction with Dominic Perrottet coming in, but Dominic Perrottet as a person is a complete change the in... The polar opposite. Yeah, he's the polar opposite. So Gladys Berejiklian has been... Like, the way that the media have painted her corruption um, proceedings is that she just fell in love with the wrong person. Yeah. Because she's like, a you know, in her 50s, single, no kids, uh, and it's just, oh, love tripped her up, right? Love is love. Love is love. Love is love. Love is corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Oh, for those of you who don't know, so, so the investigation is actually about her basically having a sleeping with a or having a a a relationship with a backbencher and the backbencher had applied to get some funding for a uh, rifle range Mm -hmm. and it had gone through there like a there's like a when you submit something it goes through like a finance panel to see whether it's viable or not and they bounced it and they said no it's not viable it it failed the cost benefit analysis yeah but then whilst they were uh, in a relationship, she had actually sent some, or her office had sent some uh, emails, basically making it happen, yeah, pushing she, it she, through. She, she overruled it and pushed it through to, to get the money sent to this project. So it was a $5.5 million yeah. rifle range. There's also... In, a, his, in, the, in the boyfriend's... Yeah. Now, the boyfriend's already been convicted of corruption as well, too. Yeah. And was convicted, what, 2015 or something like that? And the relationship between her and the boyfriend continued on after that fact mm. as well until I think maybe last year it might have might have I love finished. the bad boys. Well, that's it. I love the bad boys. Um, now, there's also... There was a recorded phone call between the two of them where he tipped her off about the potential to make money out of one of these projects and you just hear her say, I don't need to hear that. <laughs> so, obviously, <laughs> the... like That's why you signal or telegram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but look, obviously, there there's some some deal of corruption at play, sure. and she has chosen to stand aside. Now, there is an interesting side note to this as well when it comes to finances, because uh, she is, if she stuck around till January, she would have been five years as premier. Mm. And if you are five years as premier, it entitles you to up to $400,000 per year of entitlements in perpetuity after that. That is wild. So it's not only just a a pension, it's not just money, but they're entitled to a car, they're entitled to a driver, free travel, security, etc., etc., etc. 
And just so you know, like these are the people that are that decided that you can't open your business. Yeah, <laughs> people that get those kinds of perks. That's right. Uh, so it is. Very I don't get int- any perks like that. No, I can confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> just in case you didn't know. Yeah. When I left my previous job, no perks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I got my enti- my entitlements were holidays. Yeah. That I'd saved up. And you'd lost all your sick pay as well. Yeah. So, anyway, um, what is interesting is if she had stuck around till January, she would have gotten up to $400,000 a year in entitlements. Now, resigning now, even though she's not made the five years, it still entitles her to a pension. And I've heard different figures. I've heard figures between eighty dollars and $150,000 a year. Right. So let's say it's only $80,000 a year. Still not a bad wicket, right? For not doing anything for the rest of your life, get an extra 80 quid or 80,000 quid in the background. But... It also begs the question as to... Because if you get done for corruption, you get none of it. Right. So it begs the question as, if she's willing to forego... Say she only gets 80 grand. If she's willing to forego $320,000 worth of entitlements per year for the rest of her life, Mm. there's a fair chance that she knows that she won't survive the corruption inquiry. Yeah. Just an assumption. Well, then I, I want to go into... This leads perfectly into my okay. notes. So. Go ahead. So what got me started was... And I don't... Not many people have seen this, but was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago where Clive Palmer came out? Yeah, it was about three weeks ago. Clive three, Palmer's press conference. A press conference where he basically came out and said that that uh, Gladys was being sponsored by a large lobby group. Mm-hmm. And that's that was what was forcing her to get all these... Mm. vaccines out into the... Can I just make a quick point on that too? He didn't come out and say that at the press conference. He got harassed into saying that by a journalist yeah. who was trying to discredit his claims on some of the the uh, health-related things that we're going through. Yeah. Being, being very careful with how I say it. But yeah, he didn't just come out and say that she was corrupt. He was being harassed by a journalist and he asked a question that forced Clive into saying... Yeah, this is why. This is, this why. is why. That's right. And he goes, I'm happy to say it here and I'm happy to say it in, in a court. I've got the documents to support it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if there's... Like, I wonder how much truth there is to this. Mm. So I I looked. Yeah. And I was really surprised in what I found. Now, before you get into it, I just want to say too, when I saw this happen, I turned to my wife and I said... This will be very interesting because if you are the most powerful person in the state of New South Wales and someone just lobs corruption-based hand grenades at you, if you are not corrupt, you would sue them on the same day for defamation. For sure. For sure. And I was like, it will be interesting to see what Gladys's next move will be. And you literally heard nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So why, when Alex said that you may not have even heard this thing from Clive Palmer, mainstream media didn't cover it. It wasn't even spoken, or at least that I didn't see. Maybe stick it in the comments if you guys saw it on any of the mainstream news channels. Well, they're too busy saying that her heart led her to make a $5.5 million mistake. Yeah, amongst other things, potentially will come out of the commission. And I watched um, The Big Short again. It's like one of my favourite movies ever. And like one of the first, I think it was one of the first lines, one that I had missed in the past, Mm -hmm. where uh, Gosling's character goes... And these guys decided to do something that no one else thought of. They looked. Yeah. Like, they actually looked. So I looked. Mm-hmm. So I ba- basically searched lobby groups for uh, Liberal government. Mm-hmm. And I found an Australian company called 
uh, Parker and Partners. Okay. It literally just says Parker and Partners, professional lobby group for the oh. Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought, okay, that doesn't say a lot. And mm-hmm. there was not much information on them at all. Mm-hmm. But I did find out that they're owned by a company called Ogilvy PR Worldwide. Yeah. Which is a US-based. Okay. Let's play a little game. <laughs> They've got a large list of customers. Mm-hmm. I, want you, let's, I want you to guess some of Ogilvy PR Worldwide. Well, when I hear PR, it's obviously public relations. Yep. So public relate which 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 large companies need public relations help. So and I'll, I'll give you a bit of a clue. It's in context of what's going on today in the world, not just here mm-hmm. in the world. Who do you think some of the clients are? And I've got I'll, I'll check them off if, as you get them. Uh, I'm, my first guess is going to be Pfizer. Correct. Okay. Pfizer is one. Yep. Um, now, just to, do they have any like government clients like heaps like the Democratic Party of the United States? Would they be on there? Uh, I didn't write them down. Okay, but go U.S. agencies, uh, CIA, FBI. <laughs> no, no, <they're> <laughs> um, no. So maybe the National Institute of Health. No, close. National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. NIAID. No. If real close. <laughs> um, Dr. Fauci himself. Centers for D- of Disease Control. Oh, the CDC, yeah. yeah. The so F- they do PR for CDC. The FDA, Food, oh, Food and Drug Administration. Office of Homeland Security. Okay, yeah. Okay, they do PR for Office of Homeland Security. Right. Okay, um, what about uh, what about some other companies, maybe? Um, so, obviously, Johnson & Johnson. So, Johnson & Johnson was not on the list. Okay. But as I delve deep, there's a company called Orthobiotech. Mm-hmm. And it had no hyperlink on the thing. So I searched ortho biotech and then it just gave you a blank page. It, it just says, we are ortho biotech. That's it. Mm. And then, so I dug a bit deeper. Uh, it's owned by J&J. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And okay. what is interesting when like, just, just thinking about this right now, the, the vaccine company that's had the worst press in the last 12 months has been Johnson and Johnson. Mm. Right from the start, Johnson & Johnson has been seed, seen as the inferior of the, the vaccine products. Yes. Uh, from the one and done thing, so one jab, and everyone thinks that if you get the multiple jabs from other ones that they're, they're better. Uh, a big thing... I like how you said multiple, not both. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> multiple. Yep. Uh, but the other thing that was interesting from the beginning. And I don't know, we, did, we never really covered this in Australia at the time because it's probably not as big a deal for us over here. But in America at the time, I remember early on when they were jockeying for position to see who was going to get released first, one of the stories that came out about J&J was about how the uh, production of the vaccine was done using aborted fetal cells. Yeah. And that obviously that killed it. That killed it. That killed J and J. Yeah, that killed J and J because obviously. So when you guys like, I think a lot of people wonder sometimes why people get religious exemptions mm. for vaccines. That's why because for mo- a lot of religions, their religious beliefs don't believe in using products that are created from aborted fetal tissue. Yeah. Aborted fetal tissue. Obviously, any religion that is anti-abortion will not use a product. From that yeah. process, right? Or their belief structure. Or their belief structure, yeah. yeah. So so that was a massive momentum killer for J&J mm. early on. Name another company. Because um, you're doing pretty good. 
uh, well, I don't... Now, if this is an American company, can I say that AstraZeneca is not on there? It's not on there. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, because AstraZeneca is not used in the United States. Yeah. So you don't need to pay for PR in the United States when you're not selling a product there. Yeah. Um, okay. Big Pharma. Facebook. Big, no, Big Pharma ones. Oh, Merck? Yep. Merck's on there. It's okay. strange that Merck would be doing PR when they didn't have a product available at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, well, they did, but they they just stood in line and said, instead of selling $2 one, how about we run like it's... I feel like it's a big... They're on cahoots. You you go first, yeah. you sell yours, we'll come in after, we'll sell ours. We'll, we'll get to Merck a little bit later on, because that's another story in itself, yeah. which sort of goes into the predictions and thing too. Just to paint a picture of what this group of companies look like, and you can go and find it. Mm-hmm. So search Ogilvy PR Worldwide. It has a list of their clients there. TAP Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. in 2001 paid $875 million fine for paying illegal kickbacks to doctors to recommend prostate cancer drugs that mm. were overpriced. Yeah. So that those are the kinds of companies that this this firm uh, does PR for, and they own Parker and Partners, mm. who are a lobby group for the Liberal Party, for the Liberal of, Party Australia. of Australia. Now, have we ever covered on the podcast before uh, Pfizer's lawsuits from the past? No, I don't think we have. So just, just to briefly throw it out there, because it's relevant to having a PR firm covering for you. So Pfizer, if you Google who paid the largest criminal fine in history you will find that Pfizer paid, it was it it was a total fine of like $2.3 billion, but I think one point something billion was a the fine that they had to pay, and it was for illegally marketing a drug to people that it wasn't suitable for. So in other words, they had, and I don't remember what the drugs were, but they had certain drugs that were released to treat a certain problem, and then Pfizer's marketing team went out and marketed that drug to treat other conditions which it wasn't approved for. Right. And I think it was... Sounds really familiar. Yeah, well, it was 2009 that they had to pay that fine. Another um, thing happened in 2006 in Nigeria where Pfizer ran a vaccine... uh, trial on 200 children without their parents knowledge Mm. and ended up having 11 children die in 2006 Uh, they had to pay 75 million dollars in damages to the families of those children which doesn't sound like a lot of money for 11 dead people no it also doesn't sound like a lot of money for a company that's made i don't know is it 25 billion dollars in the last 12 months yeah uh, also, the other thing you need to consider is that it's not just the vaccine that Pfizer has been getting a big uptick in profits from. They also have an anti-blood clotting drug, which went through the roof at uh, the back end of last year. So anyway, not to go down and just rain shit on Pfizer. Uh, what we're saying is that a, a massive PR firm who has clients that have done things like this in the past is... Also, a major sponsor of the Liberal Party of Australia. Yeah. Does that not ring any alarm bells to you? Because it did to me. I was... Yeah. Sorry. I was shocked, but not surprised when I read the list. Because I was looking for... I knew something was going to be there. Yeah. But I didn't realise all the usual usual suspects were there. Plus some really bad, really bad dudes. But you also know that the the good thing is that... um, this time around, Pfizer won't have to pay any such damages yeah. 
Because they would, we've just given them indemnity up front. Yeah. So, yeah. No, uh, anyway. Okay, so on that, I wonder if... So the indemnity is for adverse reactions. So they're completely indemnified. Mm. The government's completely indemnified. Uh, the only people that aren't indemnified is your employer, if your employer forces you to do it. If, you, if they yeah. do not force you to do it, then you've got nowhere to go. Yeah. So that... Sorry, but my... We'll, we'll get into that the, later. The, my, yeah. my question being... That can be another subject. They're indemnified for adverse reactions, but if there is some something else that's untoward, they could potentially receive a fine. The fine being probably less than what they made, which which potentially falls in line with what happened in that that massive lawsuit, where potentially they might not end up getting fined for adverse reactions, but they may end up getting fined for marketing it in a false way. Yeah. So there could be a, a way around it. Yeah. You never know. But I feel like the fine is never worse than the. Profits made no, because well, the the and and I have a real issue with commissions that are set up that are funded by the people that they find. Oh, such as the FDA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where there's just this loop. Okay, you did something naughty. Mm. Pay us a fine. Okay, keep doing it because we 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 are only yeah. in existence while you're doing naughty things, and we're going to fine you because that's what funds us. It's just this. Yeah, and toxic to give term. to give you a, an Australian based example of that, look at ASIC. ASIC is the most toothless tiger yeah. uh, in in the country, and every it's almost it's every week. I would say it's it's fair to say it's every week you will send an article into the group chat about another <laughs> bank that's been caught doing something wrong again. We've only just had a Banking Royal Commission. Yep. And the Banking Royal Commission slapped all these guys on the wrist. They gave them, you know, multi-millions of dollars worth of fines. They're still recording record profits yep. every single year, even during a global downturn. And every week you're still sending me articles of, oh, this uh, bank got fined for this. This bank got fined for this. No one goes to jail. No one loses their jobs. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Mm. And, and you're right. It's because a certain percentage of the funding to these bodies comes from the companies that they're, they're mm. there to regulate. It is just... Doesn't rife. work. It's rife for corruption. Yeah. And this is a point I want to make too because... That wasn't a big short too. You know, the okay. uh, ratings agencies. Yeah. You know, well, if we don't give them a AAA rating, they just go down the road and they give them a AAA That's rating. That's right. It's all about business. Yeah. Um, this is this is a point I want to make early on in the podcast because it's a saying, and I don't remember where the saying comes from. I'm sure I've heard it from a Jordan Peterson thing recently, but it goes something along the lines of this. The road to hell is paved in good intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now... Why is that relevant? What it, what it means is this. In most things in life which turn out to be massive scandals, the, the idea at the beginning was well-intentioned. Mm. And the majority of people involved in the project, whatever that may be, are well-intentioned individuals. However, sometimes those well-intentioned individuals have tunnel vision on just the problem itself. And they may not understand that there might be some financial uh, benefits or financial pressures going on around the actual issue. And when all it takes is one bad actor to come to you to claim to be on your side and that could potentially completely change the course of your project. And to put it in a perspective, to give you an example... Bill Gates, to me, is one of the bad actors when it comes to the vaccine rollout. Because at the beginning, 
you could claim that all of these vaccine companies were well-intentioned to come out with a product that was going to save the world. Yep. And Bill Gates was the one who came through and convinced the American government not to veto the patent protection on the product to save profits for the companies. Yep. That's a bad actor. That's a bad actor. If you believe in vaccination, everyone could have been vaccinated 12 months ago. Yeah. And... And now your booster, each booster, takes one out of the hands of... That's right. And and that's... And I saw an interesting article pop up. The, The headline was literally... Your booster shot is not coming out of the hands of someone else. And you're like, it is though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So <laughs> how can it not? Yeah. So we've covered this a million times, but just to do a quick rehash, Bill Gates came out, made sure. So the American government had the power to veto patent protections on the vaccine products at the beginning because it was a global emergency. They had the power to do that. Bill Gates came out, campaigned against it to uh, to save patent protection which saves profits, which is how Bill Gates... Bill Gates' entire fortune is created by patent protection. He created a good product, absolutely, but the patent protection on that's where he made his money. So... 20 times is what he gets. So he created this COVAX scheme, and the COVAX scheme was supposed to go as follows. The rich countries pay for the vaccines to be created up front. They get first go at the vaccines, and then they donate doses to the poor countries. That's how it was sold at the beginning. And you've got to remember, at the beginning, it was one dose of J&J, two doses of everything else, done. Yep. That's the way that it Set was marketed. For life. Set for life. At, at the, and it's amazing how that mentality has shifted in the last 12 well, people months. People have forgotten. Well, people have not forgotten. People have had their minds changed. Yeah. So, at the beginning, it was going to be two doses of Pfizer, and you had 95% protection from infection of COVID-19. Yeah. That's what they said at the start. Yeah. So then, now when all these other countries are talking boosters, and Australia's started talking about booster shots as well, that means the COVAX scheme is not working because there are countries all over the world, poor countries, who should have had access to vaccines by now, who don't because the rich countries are just hogging the vaccines. Okay? So if you're pro-vax, that's a problem. And all that took was one bad actor. Yeah. That's it. Yep. So just, just think about that. The pathway to hell is paved in good intentions. Mm -hmm. There are many good people with good intentions involved in this, but one bad actor steers you straight in the wrong direction. So anyway, I'm I'm diverging from from the subject. So back to the original point. Uh, This PR firm is one of the key lobby groups for the Liberal Party in Australia. So let okay, let's let's go to the next step. Obviously, in New South Wales, it wasn't just Gladys Berejiklian that resigned. It was John Barillaro that resigned on the Monday. Yeah. Can we give props to Jordan Shanks? Shout out to Jordan Shanks. Friendly friendly Geordies. Friendly Geordies, who has been on John Barillaro's case for over 12 months. Yeah. He single-handedly took down John Barillaro. Well, potentially. I mean, what's interesting to me is that the corruption allegations that Jordan Shanks has levelled against John Barillaro are different to the corruption allegations that are probably going to end up coming out as ICAC review. So the ICAC commission still goes forward. So it's separate to... It's different stuff. Right. I don't know that. I well, it's different. It, I mean, it by the sounds of it, there's a lot more going on behind closed doors than even Jordan Shanks knew about or that anyone else yeah. knew about. So 
what is interesting about the John Barillaro decision... So John Barillaro was deputy, deputy uh, premier, premier so of New South Wales. W- what we found interesting, because uh, you had texted me the four names that they were... Like on the Friday when Gladys resigned, you'd text me the four names. And I'm like, no, what about Barillaro? Barillaro is the deputy, so obviously he'd move up. Yeah. So the media was already hinted to know that he wasn't going to take That's it. That's right. When have you ever seen... Someone who has spent their probably a large proportion of their life pushing forth in the realm of politics, who is one step away from the top job in the state, and then it opens up, and then they spontaneously go, "How about enough?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when does that ever happen? I need to spend time with my family. Yeah, the massive brown paper bag, allegedly. Yeah, bros. So. That was very interesting. Like you said, it, it appeared that the media were tipped off that Barilaro was not going to be around. Yeah. Uh, and then he resigned on the Monday. Now, what has since come to light since then is that with Gladys's ICAC hearing, they've actually subpoenaed a lot of information from John Barilaro. They've subpoenaed his emails and uh, computers and all that sort is of stuff. Is that why Facebook went down? <laughs> 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 Probably. Probably. Uh, which that's a whole other story yeah. to discuss too. Uh, so it would it would potentially appear that maybe just maybe. So obviously let's let's review. Gladys knows she's going down, which is why she's given up three hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year in uh, a year in entitlements for life. Yeah, but don't worry about her. I'm sure she'll be fine. Yeah. So she's going down. It would appear that perhaps some of the information they've subpoenaed from John Barillaro would bring him down with her, potentially. Right. So he jumped. Before he got pushed. Yeah. Tandem. In tandem. Now, this sort of brings you through to the leader that it looks like this may happen to next, which is Daniel Andrews. Hashtag super spreader Dan. <laughs> which is another story that came out this year, uh, this week. So... Can I just quickly talk about the trending, the Dan Andrews trending? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've been keeping an eye on Twitter trending in Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, three or four days ago, it was... Like, like quite high up was Dan next. Dan's yep. next mm-hmm. was the trending like number trending one, number hashtag. two. Yeah, trending hashtag on t- on Twitter in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then just all of a sudden, it was Dan for prime minister. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was number one. And I was like, sorry, what? Like yeah. how did that? And then <laughs> the next day, it was it was um, Dan the super yeah, spreader. super spreader Dan. Super spreader Dan. It was so good. So if anyone doesn't know what super spreader Dan's referring to. Daniel Andrews uh, got caught two days in a row, Wednesday and Thursday, just walking the streets with no mask on. But see, I'm, I'm going to let him off that. Do you know why? Because wearing a mask is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree with you, except for the fact that uh, people have been violently arrested yeah, at protests yeah, okay. for not wearing a mask. So um, I could have I handled seeing a, a rubber bullet or two shot at Super Spreader Dan. Fair, I don't know if they have masks with... Um ear straps big enough <laughs> maybe that's he's it got a set of, he's got a set of ears at he does maybe Dumbo's got a medical exemption wonder for if ear can, size wonder if we can hear the future with those things <laughs> uh, I think it he, wouldn't sound good I think he can because there's a lot going on in Victoria so so Super Spreader Dan is uh, potentially going to have his own corruption commission which well it's not even potentially it's happening but it wasn't actually intended to be levelled at Dan Andrews in the beginning so uh, New South Wales has ICAC, Victoria has IBAC, which is the Independent Bureau Against yep. Corruption. Same body, different name. And One's on the back. Yeah. And there was a 
IBAC hearing due to commence on Monday. So when when we, this goes to air, it'll it's due to commence today. So jump on. I'm pretty sure that YouTube will be live streaming some yeah. of these things. Um, so what that what this commission was initially supposed to investigate was the misappropriation of taxpayer funds. And I don't have a 100% uh, grasp of what is being spoken about because obviously they keep a lot of the stuff on the hush yeah. before it comes out. But from my understanding, the initial investigation was based on funds that had been allocated to a certain project or department or whatever, then being misappropriated and used for other things such as having staffers you get paid that money to do political advertising or something like that instead. So Didn't it have something to do with the fire service? That's the next right. part. It started out as something fairly innocuous and Dan Andrews was not named in, right. in this hearing. What has now come to light this week is some sort of story surrounding Dan Andrews and his close ties and entanglement, as Will Smith's wife would call it, an entanglement, with, if you, if you get that reference, put it in the comments, um, his, his close ties and entanglement with the Victorian Fire Department. And again, as, a, as an aside, not 100% sure on the details. Go and look it up. But from what my understanding is, it appears that Dan Andrews was far too closely involved with the Firefighters Union. Right. To the point where he may have contributed in the firing of their board. Their whole board got fired, I think, in like 2016. Mm-hmm. And the installment of a friend of his to run it. Right. And then potentially some deals involved between the two where something was done that benefited the two parties. And then Dan Andrews has benefited from the support of the firefighters union in regards to votes and stuff since then. Because all I had seen... Because this everything is algorithm dependent, right? So yeah. my algorithm had, had sort of illustrated that point, but said that he had not directly financially benefited mm. but what you're saying is that he could have benefited in other like less yeah. tangible ways and I, I feel like it's pretty clear to see that from the last couple of months uh dan andrews has a very close relationship with the victorian police commissioner it would not be outside the realm of possibility that he would have that similar close relationship with the head of all the major services in victoria he is the premier but as some people are describing Victorian police as an extended arm of the Dan Andrews government, when it's not supposed to be, there is supposed to be a degree of separation between the two, mm. right? Uh, yeah, obviously, a lot of the stuff will come to light this week. And what is interesting is we've spoken before on the pod about the one of the one of the old school tricks when it comes to lying is you agree to a small lie you can see to a small lie to cover up a much bigger one yeah and you look at about in the last podcast yeah so you look at gladys and john barillaro they're probably conceding that oh there's a corruption allegation about this 5.5 million dollar grant maybe i'm going to agree to that and hop out that's what all the press is going to be talking about but it's going to cover up some potential wrongdoing maybe highlighted by clive palmer's press conference yeah all right this is possible as barillaro barillaro could could get done for maybe a little uh, uh, property development yeah. thing Yep. when he could have been in cahoots with Gladys. Yep. Correct. So, and that's why you've got to keep your ear to the ground for this kind of stuff 
ongoing because and, the media and, cycle will move past it. And that's right. And the mainstream media, as we discussed last week, they're a magnifying glass drawing our attention to one small part of the whole story. So you need to go and find that whole story yourself. Yeah. And that's where these independent journalists that have been really rising to prominence during this time have been so um, important yeah. to actually paint the whole story. So, so that's New South Wales. This could potentially become Dan Andrews' easy route out of office, mm. right? Do the right thing by the fireies. Now, he's already been told... Or sorry, he has already said he won't be standing aside. So someone asked him the <laughs> question of... I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I can actually... <laughs> Honestly, I could imagine... Him, him running his office in that fashion. Absolutely. Yep. So um, that's a Wolf of Wall Street reference if anyone missed it. A lot of references happening today. Um, but this could be his opportunity. So it might become a thing of, yeah, I look, I stepped in and I affected the the, the board of the fire, like um, the Victorian firefighters. I installed my mate. That's not a bad, that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. I'll stand aside. Yeah. Right? And then that gets him his little... Those actions just won't pass the pub test. Yeah. So that gets him his convenient exit from politics. And, but I mean, you look at Victoria. Look at Victoria. Like Victorians were told that if you get vaccinated and you're locked down, you'll be you'll be free to go. And they're at like I don't know somewhere between seventy and eighty percent at least first vaccinated. They've been the most locked down state on the planet, and they're recording record case numbers yeah. today. So, but let's keep going. However, this this took a bit of a turn for me in the last couple of days because some new things have come to light which are not being spoken about in mainstream media. Which is changes that they... So, last week, Dan Andrews came out and said, every essential worker's got to be vaccinated. Yeah. Just out of the blue. Yep. No consultation, no nothing. Every essential worker's got to be vaccinated. And that extends to MPs. Right? I don't know if you've heard about this. I have. Okay. So, it extends to MPs. So, the MPs in Victoria have now been told they have until Friday this week to put forth their medical records showing their vaccination status. And anyone who has not at least had one dose of the jab or refuses to put forward their medical records will actually be banned from parliamentary grounds. Yeah. They're not going to be allowed to enter the workplace. Now, why is this important? Number one, these are duly elected officials that for... Their, their constituents elected based on their merits who may or may not be able to attend any votes in the coming weeks and months, which is the most important part of democracy. And just think about, like, if you, if you really drill down on that, you've picked a side and guaranteed that side is going to get anything they want mm-hmm. passed from a political sense. And you know it's what a it, genius move. And do you know what is terrifying? Do you know what is coming up for vote very soon? What? The state of emergency in Victoria is due to expire in December. Right. There is whispers of some sort of permanent pandemic-based controls that are going to be voted on in Victorian Parliament over the coming weeks and months. Oh. Now... Everyone move out of Victoria. Well, you still can, even though where are you going to go? I mean, you might be able to go to New South Wales on the 1st of December, but by that stage, uh, Victoria might ban you from leaving the state. You never know. Mm. But 
Stop so, playing GST. <laughs> yeah. So what is terrifying about this for Victorians and for democ- our democracy in general is it appears that Daniel Andrews, in a what I'm I'm assuming this is a last minute act of defiance. He knows he's going down. Yeah. He knows he's got targets to hit because that's all he's been banging on about for the last twelve months. It's not been about better outcomes for his people. Yes, it's obviously been, not because the it's outcomes been, are been worse. about getting the vaccination number higher. So, I think this is a last minute attempt to hold on to power and to get his targets met in the background. Yeah, and it's scary. It is scary to think that. In Australia in 2021, you have a premier who is hell-bent on changing the rules on the spot to allow him to ban people who will vote against him on, yeah. on any matter. That's terrifying. That's... How is it, in this day and age, everyone's done a fucking Zoom meeting in the last two yeah. years. Everyone. The national cabinet meetings are done by Zoom. But you're not allowed to vote. You're not allowed to vote. The yeah. law state you're not allowed to vote over Zoom. They're not changing that law, are they? No, they're not. That might actually make sense. Yeah, that's a practical one. That's right. If you go, look, we've told all authorised workers they need to be vaccinated for their protection and the protection of everyone around them, even though we know that's bullshit now. If, if you said, okay, we're going to say you can't come to Parliament, but... You log in via Skype or Zoom, we're going to have a meeting, and you can still vote. We're going to change that law. That would make that sense. That would make sense. And that but would, that's not what is happening. Yeah, that would lead me to believe that they are doing it for the right reason. That's but right. But this way is like, it's literally just get rid of all your opponents. Yeah. It's like, like, ban your opponents from walking in the door. Yeah. That is mental. That's right. That is mental. So keep an eye on that. Don't, don't let... Don't yeah. let anyone get away with it. Keep that. an eye on that story. Is that not a good segue into the on-ramping? Yeah, we can, we can go to that next. So let's, let's, let's come up to the sunny state of Queensland, where our illustrious leader, Anastasia Palaszczuk, comes up with a new excuse every week as to why she will not be unlocking the state. Mm. Uh, it's, we, we've literally had every excuse under the sun. Originally, I, mean, I, don't, I can't even go through them on a timeline because she's just blurted out everything. Whenever she gets asked when we're opening up, and not even when, where is the plan for opening up? Yeah, she doesn't plan. have one. It's, it's, it's uh, over there. Yeah. Did um, we look at it? No, only I read it. Yeah, so she's... And I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah. So John she, Smith? No, what, what's the... Um, who's the guy that... Is it the Mormon faith? Oh, um... Is it Mormons? John yeah. Smith? Is it John Smith? The the kid who said he could read the book or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's where... That's, it's, in, it's written in the back of that book. Yeah. That's where our health orders are. That's right. So, what is very, very interesting is that we've literally had every excuse under the sun. It has been... It's all been about protecting us from, from Delta, right? Mm. All been about protecting us from Delta. Now, a few weeks ago, it was, can we open, can we open the border up? Oh, no, because we, we don't have studies on the effect on children. That was the thing. And it was because children under the age of 15 couldn't get vaccinated at the time, they're at risk. So we're not opening up because we're protecting the children. Guess what, guys? We've got enough data now that shows that kids, get, if they get COVID at all, have a very, very mild cold-like illness. Friends of mine's kids got it. Zero symptoms. Zero symptoms. Here's a study that, like, that no one talks about and a subject that we used to talk about in this country because it's still a problem and it's getting worse. 
In the UK, they did a study on kids who got COVID who ended up in hospital. Nine out of 10 children who ended up in hospital with COVID-19 who are under the age of 10 were obese. Mm. Nine out of 10. Mm. We don't talk about making sure our kids aren't fat. Yeah. We're just like, oh, we've got to protect the children because they're not going to get vaccinated. So that's a two-pronged assault yeah. because the number one prong is it's an excuse not to open up the state. The number two prong is it is, a, it is an appeal to allow us to start vaccinating kids. Yeah. That is the appeal. And it's scary because in the United States, they're already starting vaccination from two and up. Yeah. My son turns two in January. Yeah. And he's not getting it. Because you do not inject someone with something that gives them no benefit that could potentially give them a negative outcome. Yeah, yeah. You don't do it. That's just <laughs> medicine. All right? So here's, here's some stats for you. Uh, just, to, just to allay maybe your potential fears. So you can jump on the health.gov website and you can find all the statistics that you want. Because I've actually got the uh, cases and deaths listed out by age group and sex on the health.gov right. website. So I actually screenshotted these the other day. So these are not 100% up to date. They're from the 29th of September. But as we've not seen any news story about a child dying in the meantime, because you guarantee that we would if there was one. Oh, you'd be using that. Absolutely. Like they did one other time. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming that the death numbers haven't gone up. Potentially the case numbers have, but the death numbers yep. haven't. So in Australia at the moment, in the age group between zero and nine, 6,161 cases in male children, 5,821 cases in female children between the ages of zero and nine. How many deaths? Oh, uh, with those numbers, judging by what you hear on the news, it must be, it must be a thousand, two thousand. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at, uh, oh, 9,000, oh, that's that? 10,000. So that's about 12,000 cases total. Yeah. yeah. Zero deaths. Zero. Zero deaths between the ages of zero and nine. Zero deaths. No, that must be... That can't be right. Yeah, it's only the uh, health.gov.au. Yeah, okay. Well, those numbers are obviously underreported. <laughs> yeah. Between the age groups of 10 to 19, you've had 7,382 males get contracting COVID, 6,926 females contracting COVID. What are guys doing? sneezing in each other's faces all the time? Um, <laughs> men, men typically participate in riskier behaviours than women. Right. So we all know that. That's why men die first, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're dumb. Yeah. That's why we need to get paid more. Yeah. So you're talking... Look We've at got less like, time to make it. Yeah, that's right. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Uh, so it's about 14,500 cases between the ages of 10 and 19. How many deaths? Uh, so how many cases, sorry? 14,500 cases. Oh, uh, 5,000 deaths? Uh, one. Now... Oh, that number's wildly underreported. Uh, now, this is going to be interesting because a little while ago, you guys will probably remember the mainstream media news story about the 15-year-old boy who died from COVID-19 who had no pre-existing health issues. I never heard that one. Because I think I heard it a day after when they Probably. were clarifying it. The first day that it came out, it was this massive, terrifying piece mm. when they were starting to talk about how COVID's now affecting kids 18 months into the pandemic yeah. or however long it was, 14 months. And they were saying this 15-year-old boy died and he had no pre-existing yeah. issues. Now, I can't remember the exact issue, but I'm pretty sure he had something like multiple sclerosis and had like a, a series of other yep. secondary issues and he died. So just to clarify, between the ages of zero and 19, you're looking at approximately 30,000 cases of COVID-19 and one death. Do the maths. What's that? Is that what's the um, fatality rate? 
So we go 1 divided by 30,000 oh, times 100. It is 0.0033%. Yeah. Now, can you assure a parent? I'm a parent now, okay? Mm. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a... I don't create vaccines. Can you assure me that the vaccine has a less than 0.0033% chance of causing severe harm to my son long-term. Can you assure me that? Because you can't. Well, they, and they won't assure you that. No. And they write on the box what you get from it. That's right. <laughs> the, there, the there, are no, there are no long-term studies. And, okay? and do, ask yourself this. Uh, have you spoken to any of your friends that have got it? Man, this, the, the, the symptoms, uh, not the symptoms, the uh, side effects hmm. of the vaccine... Yeah. Suck. Yeah. And we knew this. Jason and I knew that it was going to be bad because Bill Gates told us. Yeah. He said in a in a in a yeah. uh, interview, he goes, um, so, oh, is, is it, what's his, is um, um, yeah, he goes, um, um, yeah. The side effects are yeah, super painful. Super painful. Super painful. Yeah. Do you know what's not super painful? <laughs> the COVID is young. The Rona. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, we're not saying COVID's not a real disease, but the data shows COVID exponentially affects old people more than it affects young people. And people with comorbidities. And we're saying that those people are the ones... Where we've said the shortcomings and the failings of our of our rollout mm. is that we should have put all our effort into those people. That's right. The elderly, yep. the um, obese, mm-hmm. the people with additional comorbidities. That's right. And if we put all our focus on those people, we would be in a we much would have had better, better place. Outcomes. Yeah, we would have we, better outcomes. But also, it seems like we're not looking. We are obsessed with the vaccine level and that's it. That's right. We, we are not obsessed with positive outcomes. Yeah, because if we were obsessed with positive outcomes, when the pandemic kicked off and hundreds of millions of people had already been infected with COVID early on and we went and talked about vaccination as the solution that means we've written off those hundreds of millions of people who already had COVID yeah. because if you're not talking treatment you're only talking vaccination prevention then the people who've already got it you've written them off does that segue nice into Merck or you got more on this I just wanted to say quickly uh, to allay people's fears too about our age group so we're in our 30 to like the age group of 30 to 39 and I'll give you rough figures because obviously these have updated and there there was an additional death too since I got these two so I did update those but there's been roughly 10,000 cases in men roughly 9,000 cases in women so 19,000 cases in Australia and out of that, we've had six men die and we've had four women die. Right. So the death rate's something like 0.04%. Yeah. And this is taking into consideration all comorbidities. This is not, this is not uh, stratified by uh, you know, obesity level or BMI or anything like that. It's everyone who's gotten it and everyone that's died. Yeah. All in the same numbers. <clears throat> so... What this what this sort of goes to again? We're not we're not anti the vaccination. We think the vaccine should be targeted at the vulnerable, and which is funnily enough where it appears that the booster shots are going to be targeted at, based on the marketing that's come out this week. Yeah, too. which I I just think is a is a, and and let's watch this space. Mm. It's a great inception mm-hmm. to then spread it to everyone. Oh, now that we've done, of course, everyone's third shot. Oh, every yeah. immune compromised person's third shot. Yeah. Now let's get everyone else. Yeah, and the. It's it's unfortunately it's a very good sales pitch where you go look in in Australia this year so last year we had roughly twenty nine thousand cases of COVID and we had nine hundred nine deaths rough figures this year I think in total we're up to like one hundred and twenty five thousand cases 
over the whole pandemic. So that's like 95,000 or 90,000 that are this year alone. And I think this year we've had somewhere around 400 deaths. So you're talking three times more cases this year and less than half the amount of deaths. So if you were a layman who didn't want to dig into the figures, you could go, well, that shows that the vaccines were working because we've had more cases, but less deaths. And that's the way that it was advertised. Number one, it wasn't the way that it was advertised at the beginning. It was advertised that you wouldn't get COVID at the beginning. That may not be what the the manufacturers said, but that's what our media said. And that's that's what our government said. Absolutely. Okay. And they're still saying it. Yeah. The other thing too, which is interesting, is if you look at any country that has had a vaccination rollout, the dominant variant in those countries is now the Delta variant. The Delta variant appears to travel just as easily between vaccinated people and unvaccinated people. That is what the data shows. There is a study out of the CDC, which I put references in a show a few weeks ago, that showed that the viral loads in a vaccinated person's mouth and nose uh, who was got a breakthrough infection with COVID were exactly the same Mm. as that of an unvaccinated person. So it makes sense. I think I may have said eight or nine months ago that one of the concerns, which I got from uh, a virologist, Gert Vandenbosch from, he spoke about this over a year ago. Mm. His concern with the mass vaccination program with the leaky vaccine was the fact that you create the genetic pressure on the, the virus itself to evolve into a variant that can get around the vaccine. Yep. And okay. we, we mean a, le- a leaky vaccine is that this vaccine is designed to build your immunity to it, but not actually stop it. It doesn't stop the it virus. Just, it just right. reduces symptoms. Yes, yeah, exactly. effectively what it's So the virus about. is still allowed to be inside you, and therefore that's why it can still spread, because it doesn't kill the virus, it just lessens yeah. the symptoms from it. So you could say, you could argue that an unintended positive side effect of the vaccine rollout has been that we've created an environment where we have genetically selected a variant that doesn't seem to be as deadly. So Delta, just say Delta could be caused by it, uh, by the virus entering someone that has the vaccine, the vaccine and try to figure a way around it. That's Therefore, right. Um, it's it's nullified some of its... Yeah, so it, 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 it may not... Like, I mean, most viruses in history have always evolved in a way where they become more transmissible yeah. and less deadly. We've spoken about that many times before. Perhaps the unintended side effect of the vaccine rollout has been we have pushed this thing faster to evolve into a variant which is more transmissible and less deadly. Mm. Perhaps. I don't know. Again, not a scientist. But Gert Vandenbosch said this concern 12 months ago was that if you have a virus, uh, sorry, a vaccine that's not a sterilizing vaccine, it allows the virus time to be able to evolve around around the protection. And what we were concerned about and why we said that we should have a targeted vaccine rollout at the beginning is that if you vaccinate the vulnerable, your elderly and you're immunocompromised, and then you create a variant that can get around the vaccine, they're no longer protected. That was the problem. And that's what's showing in the data now. If you look at all the countries that have the highest level of, uh, the highest vaccination rates, they're all-time highest for cases and deaths now. That's right. Singapore has been ravaged. Yeah. They're at 80% double dose. Yeah. Ravaged. But even just look at Australia and those numbers I just said before. Last year, in the beginning of the pandemic, we had 29,000 cases. Mm. Now... The, the lockdowns and stuff, they happened fairly early, but we've, we've had a similar amount of lockdowns last year as what we've had this year, right? Yeah. Like, that'd be fair to say? Yeah. So, and, and especially when you look at the states like New South Wales and Victoria, where they've had the majority of the cases, mm. Victoria had a massive spike last year. That's where the majority of the people died in the pandemic early on yep. because we weren't treating anyone. Uh, so they, they've had their spike, then that spike went away. So last year we didn't have vaccines. Yeah. This year we've had vaccines, and yet we've had 
three times the amount of cases. Yeah. Right? And yes, we've had less than half the amount of deaths. But what's something that we have heard through the media over the last few months? It's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it was all the unvaccinated people that were ending up in hospital. So guess what? It's the unvaccinated people who still weren't dying from this strain. So unvaccinated people have not gotten any additional protection from the vaccine. It just appears that the strain has been less deadly. Yeah. This year. Yeah, still less damage. Right? So... And you can't buy... Because I've heard that it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. But how can you... And we've said it here before. It's a statistical impossibility Mm. in a country like Singapore where the numbers have gone stratospheric in comparison to prior to the vaccine rollout at all. Mm -hmm. The numbers have gone so much higher. That doesn't make any sense. More vaccine, but But this is what's happened is... What's happened to, to us in this rollout is exactly the same thing that happens to people on almost a daily basis who are trying to sell their home. <laughs> let, me get, let me tell you a little story. What happens a lot of the time, anyone who's not experienced in sales, they go to a real estate agent. And the real estate agent says, hey, your house, I reckon I could get you up to a million dollars for your house. And then you go, wow... I only paid $600,000 for it two years ago. That's an amazing return on investment. I'll go with you and you can list my house. And then once they've got your business, then they start going, oh, we've put the feelers out there. Look, maybe it's it's a little bit less than what we thought, but we're still going to have a really good crack and blah, 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 blah. So in other words, they tell you the good thing up front to get you on board. And then instead of doing their job and going out and getting you the million dollars that they, they promised you at the beginning, they take the time to start managing your expectations back down. Mm. And then you get six fifty for it and they're like, well, it's more than what you paid for at Happy Days. But the, the reality is they, they promised you this. And they sold you this at the end of yeah, it. Yeah. We have and had you're this, happy with it. And you're happy with it yep. because they do such a good job managing your expectations yep. on the way down. We've had the exact same experience. And like we've said, it was not the manufacturers of the vaccines that yeah. told us these things. It was our government and it was our media that told yep. us at the beginning, 95% efficacy against, against uh, infection at yep. the beginning. Yep. But now people are so indoctrinated. We've got such Stockholm syndrome yep. in this country that we are, we're defending them. Oh, no, they never said that. They oh, always shit. said right from the start that it was just going to lessen your symptoms. I can tell you this much. If you if we were told at the beginning, look, you're still going to get it, but it might lessen your symptoms, everyone would go, uh, no thanks. But also, we wouldn't have copped that. Like, if, if we had known that in advance, mm. we would never have copped case numbers being the metric. Yes. And this is where, this is where we got onto this at the very beginning. The mm. very start for us, the very first red flag mm-hmm. was when someone read what was on the box of Pfizer and it never stated to reduce transmissibility. That's right. And then we are... And then our government is talking about, we've got to reduce case numbers, we've got to reduce case numbers, and this is how you do it. And we're mm. like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. That's right, because case numbers were all... Well, sorry, at the beginning, the metric for lockdowns was hospitalisation and death. Mm. That, that's, that's where it should have been at the start, because that's important, right? Yeah. How many people are going to hospital? How many people are dying? But as people's hospitalisation and death started to drop, the case conversation came into it. And that was well before the vaccines were launched, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So then what is problematic is if your claim is at the beginning of this, of the vaccine rollout, that we were always told it would not decrease your chance to get infected, it would just um, improve your outcomes, yeah. then at that point in time, cases never should have been a metric of success. Yeah. 
The metrics of death. success should have been hospitalization and death. Yep. But and yet, since right at the beginning of the rollout, and we've only now. spoken about cases, yep. and that's all we talk about yep. now, right? And that is like, look at what happened with the border bubble on the Queensland New South Wales border. They got one case in Ganelabar, and they stopped the border bubble. Yeah. For one case. That, that is not a metric of success when it comes to a vaccine that apparently only lessens your symptoms. Yeah. Right? So that's why it doesn't make sense. And yet they still now, they still now pound, do it for you, do it for your family. That's right. Do it to protect the vulnerable people around you. Jeanette Young, the, so getting back to Queensland, Jeanette Young said during this week that uh, the vaccine uh, reduces your chances of transmitting the virus down to 25%. Show you're working, Jeanette Young. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah. Like, the the actual data that's come out of the Centers of Disease Control in America completely contradicts your claim. Show us your data. Also... What the, are you basing that on? Also, the data that's come out of the court case in New South Wales? Well, I don't want to get into that yet until that case is okay. decided. Because that, that's the big one. That's the big kahuna. And... The problem is some of the things that are being said in that court case will sound so outlandish to people yeah. that they're not even going to believe it yeah, yeah, until it actually comes out and a judge goes, oh, by the way, X, Y, and Z, no one's going to believe it. Okay. So that's, that's, that's huge. We believe it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've been up for a while. Sign me up, son. Yeah. But, but that's the thing. So, so inconsistencies. Now, getting back to Queensland, because that's what we started this particular rant on. So... Our, we don't know when we're going to be opening our border. Now, what is very interesting for me, so we've spoken about New South Wales has gone out with the old crew and in with Dominic Perrottet and I don't know who the Deputy Premier is now, and now Perrottet is starting to ramp up the, the, the reopening. So in, He's increased the speed limit on the roadmap out. That's right. Yeah. So he's already increased uh, caps on people at certain things and blah, 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 and whatsoever. Um Alex will be back in five minutes, so I'm just going to keep going. So he's, he's already increased caps. He's already increased uh, who can go to different places. Uh, you can travel between Greater Sydney and Western uh, Sydney now as well. So he's, he's increasing things. So you've gone, you got rid of the bad cops. You put in the good cop to make the, the rollout seem better. It would appear that Victoria, if Dan Andrews does end up going down at this IBAC commission, I'm sure that whoever gets installed as his replacement will then completely change courses and they'll start trying to win some fans back again and win some voters back. Because I think we, it's all pretty fair to say, for Dan Andrews, a Labor Premier and what the longest serving Premier in our country at the moment, because he's been doing it for seven years... It is a pretty bad indictment on his leadership that he, a Labor Premier, has lost the construction workers' union. The construction workers have always been blue-collar workers. Blue-collar workers have always been Labor voters. It's the way it's always worked. So the fact that a Labor Premier can alienate their own voter base so much, that's a problem. So I would assume if Dan Andrews gets pushed out then Dan Andrews' replacement will come in, try to win those voters back and steer things in a different direction. Now, coming back to Queensland, obviously, it doesn't look like we're going to be having any sort of high-level change in whether it's Anastasia Palaszczuk or the Deputy Premier or anything like that. We don't have a state election coming up for another few years. But one key person that is changing is from the 1st of November, Dr. Jeanette Young is no longer going to be our Chief Health Officer. Because she has actually, this happened back in June, we may have mentioned on the podcast before, 
but she was actually promoted to being the governor of Queensland. So what the governor of Queensland is, is essentially like the governor general, but not for national, just for the state. So what has happened this week is they've also announced Jeanette Young's replacement as the chief health officer of Queensland. Now, I can't remember the guy's name, but I wonder if perhaps this will be Queensland's way of now switching and transitioning, going a, transitioning to a new direction. Because again, you like, I think one of the biggest, the biggest things that anyone in politics is scared of is changing their position Yeah, because it shows weakness. Yeah. Not one person in politics has been forced to change their position on anything. Yeah. They've just gone. Changed jobs. That's right. They, yeah. You change job and oh, yeah, you've literally changed <laughs> your position. Yeah. So you don't have to change your position. Yeah. But they've just changed jobs. You change, like you ch- put in a new puppet, and then you go in the different direction. Mm. And it will be very, very interesting. So in Queensland, what I want to, what I want you guys to watch from the first of November, do we start going in a different direction? Do we start talking about opening up more freely? Are we going to let more people back in more easily? Do we move to antigen testing? <sighs> yeah, that that's going into the prediction bucket. Okay, at the end of it. So anyway. It's it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens in in Queensland. And let's see if this is the if this is the method of what the government's now going to do going forward, where they're going to sacrifice a cohort of leaders yeah. to get what they want, yeah. and then pivot another direction. We need to keep that on record. That's right, and we need to hold them accountable for it. Exactly, because we like. Again, Anastasia Palaszczuk has got a voter base who loves her because they feel like everything she has done in the last two years has protected us. Mm. They've completely forgotten the fact that she forced us to go out in person and vote her back in right at the beginning of the pandemic when we had no vaccine, no treatment, and no idea how deadly this virus was. She forced us to leave the house and go and vote her back in. That was the most populated place I had been in at that time. That's right. Was Was the voting. Yeah. So, like, I think all of us at the time, if she came out and said, hey, we're supposed to have an election now. Obviously, it's a pandemic. Can we put this back 12 months? We would have copped it. Every single citizen of the state would have copped it. Yeah. Every single one. But she didn't do that. Yeah. And a large percentage of the population, particularly older people we've discussed before, whose lives are made, who are living in their paid off houses on a government pension, whose life doesn't change, they think that she's done a great thing by them. But you... She's also the only person I know that's been on an overseas holiday (laughs) in this time. She's the only one in my entire network. She's the only person I know that's gone overseas. Oh yeah, so yeah, don't forget that one as well, voters, that she got to go on a Japanese holiday when Japan was a hotspot for COVID the week after she campaigned to the federal government to halve international arrivals because hotel quarantine wasn't working. Okay, speaking of Queensland, let's go into the hospital system. Oh yes. Okay, so this is the next part. So... In, in the last week, one of the next excuse for Palaszczuk not to open up the state has been that the hospital si- system is not ready to reopen. And we have seen stories in the media for the first time in a long time about ambulance ramping at hospitals. Ramping meaning they're literally just waiting out the front with patients inside and trying to get a spot. Yeah. So I hit up a friend of mine who's a paramedic. And I said, look, is this a real problem? Like... Because the way that the media first started reporting it was with COVID cases on the rise, ramping's becoming a problem. So the media kind of linked the two together. Yeah. And I said, is this really a problem? Because I checked the stats and at the time we only had 15 cases of COVID in hospital in Queensland. So I said, this doesn't seem like a real issue to me. Can you please tell me the truth? 
So my friend came back to me and told me the following. Uh, she's been a paramedic for many years now. Ramping has been a problem in Queensland for a decade, mm. if not longer. COVID is not the reason why ramping is a problem, but ramping is still a problem nonetheless. What she actually explained to me was the main reason why you've got ramping issues in Queensland is because the public is not educated on what issues warrant a call to an ambulance. Right. Okay? So she was saying, on an almost daily basis, they get phone calls for a stubbed toe. Yeah. For a paper cut. Yeah. Right? Now, I also said too, based off my experience, which I've explained to you guys from last year, I said, is it fair to say that the GPs have contributed to the problem? Because what happened with me last year, everyone knows that Nate was sick a lot. So we would call our GP, try to book an appointment for Nate. They would say, have you got COVID-like symptoms? Everything that a kid gets is COVID-like symptoms. So we would say yes. And they would go, you can't come here. Go to the emergency department. So we were being told just for a kid with a cold to go to the emergency department at the hospital, which creates a bottleneck. And I, I asked her if that is a problem that she has seen widespread. She said yes. So same as the police. So the police... A lot of police, I've got a lot of police friends, hmm. and they've been saying the same thing um, in their own way. Their experience, a ridiculous amount of dumb phone calls. Yeah. Hey, my next door neighbor's mowing the lawn out the back, he's not wearing a mask. That's right. And like that's taken up time yeah. for them to do real stuff. That's right. Yeah. And it is not surprising to me that in a climate that we have created over the last two years where people are literally scared of the air... <laughs> That yes. people might have an overreaction yeah, absolutely. to the most minor of issues yeah. and therefore maybe put strain on the paramedics or the hospital system yeah. for something that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share a brief story on this. So there was a time last year when Nate got tonsillitis and he was uh, very dehydrated. So you can tell when a baby's dehydrated when they stop peeing. Yeah. Okay. Because he wouldn't drink anything because he was sore throat, right? So we we did we tried to go through the normal. You tried to help him out yourself. We tried calling our GP. They said call at home doctor service. You call at home doctor service. Oh, we're not doing home visits because of COVID. So you don't get any treatment there. You call one three health. They give you some advice over the phone, and they literally said, look, if if, if he's not drinking anything, you got to take him to the emergency department. So we're taking our baby, eight months old or whatever it was at the time, to the emergency department, and we sat there for hours. And we were behind kids who'd fallen over on a playground and bumped their head on the weekend. Mm. And it's like, the kid's fine. The kid's literally running around the emergency room, fine. And it would, you'd be waiting hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then sometimes to the point where the kids are like, Mum, can we just go home? Like, I'm fine. Like, yeah. can we just go home? Um, for like cuts or abrasions or something. Like... Minor stuff, which... Yeah, but you know, that, that's what instilling fear does. That's right. Yeah. So if when people are like... You have to, you have to consider Queensland. The reason why, why we, we've balked about the mask stuff. I'm happy to wear a mask when there's cases around on the Gold Coast. I'm happy to. Yeah. But when there's zero cases in Queensland, wearing a mask is just for show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's all it is. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. If Queensland Health came out and said, tomorrow, we've got a cluster of cases in Helensvale on the Gold Coast, anyone who's within the surrounding yeah, regions, sense. wear a mask and stay home, no dramas. Yeah. But when... We may as well be wearing a top hat. 
Well, that's right. You may as well go out every day wearing a condom. Bo- booby tassels. Yeah, or, or wearing, wearing a dom just in case you happen to get laid in the street. In regards to that um, on-ramping on thing as well, yeah. like I've got a friend who's a, nursing in, a nurse in the private sector. Yeah. They're ready. So they, their whole place has been rejigged to yeah. take on ICUs. Yeah, uh, overflow. Uh, overflow. When it happens, they've not had to do anything. She yeah. goes, we've done, we've done more titties and bleached assholes <laughs> than ever. Because everyone's like, oh, I've got to get, get, get in now. Yeah, well, you've got to get your asshole bleached for your Zoom meetings. <laughs> <laughs> and but, your OnlyFans because you're in lockdown. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. Because the other, the other thing you need to consider too is that more often than not, when we hear about problems with the health system, it's the public health system that we're referring to. Yeah. There's, and there's always been, if you think about it, there's always been problems in our public health system. Always has. Always, always, always. So it's just, and, and look, I can see why the media would do it. You grab onto something mm-hmm. that, that could it's align the magnifying with, glass again. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And zoom in. Yeah. Can we talk about Merck now? Okay, let's talk about Merck. So, so, so moving on. So actually, before we do, just to summarise, to take stress off the healthcare system, stopping such a pussy, if you cut yourself, just sort it out. Yeah. Put a band-aid on it and move on with your yeah, life. Yeah, and, and stop, uh, stop ringing police. Leave yeah. them alone. Unless it's, unless it's bad, don't ring. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, If you're trying to catch someone out about COVID stuff, check yourself. Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, let's use the same argument that everyone uses about being, being vaccinated now. Oh, you'll take up a hospital bed from someone else who needs it. Okay. Stop calling the police for people making minor uh, you know, breaches of the chief health officer's orders uh, when those people could be attending to, I'm pretty sure, what, didn't the police just get done? Not done, but wasn't there a case recently that, have, that came out this week about uh, a double stabbing at a house yeah. where the police originally thought that it was bullshit and then came uh, rocked up a half hour too late and there was two dudes that got stabbed to death. Yeah. So those are the real crimes that we need to let the police deal with. Yeah, Stop sure. calling them for petty bullshit. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Merck. So... If anyone doesn't know who Merck is, Merck is a pharmaceutical giant out of the United States. Mm-hmm. Merck is the original uh, creator and manufacturer of one of our favourite drugs, horse paste, <laughs> ivermectin. <laughs> now, Merck may be touted as the saviour of the pandemic because they've ironically got a little red pill coming out. I love how it's red. Oh, it's the best. I love it. It's, it's marketing at its finest. Yeah. So Merck is about to, well, it has essentially released their new drug called Molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. I'm not even going to try and say it. Molnupiravir. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it Ivermectin 2. <laughs> yeah, I, Ivermectin 2. Now, <clears throat> so Molnupiravir is, is one of the signals to us that this pandemic is soon going to be coming to an end. As mm. far as the it becoming the sole focus of our lives it's going to go away very soon because and this <laughs> shock what, horror <laughs> yeah this is what we're talking about before where um with sales and so and like how you said oh let's you know i'll let you go first the vaccination guys they've had their go they've had their crack at the market they know they've probably hit the maximum of the amount of vaccines you're going to be able to sell because uh, if you even go to Israel now too, the uh, there's been something like 50,000 complaints to the Israeli healthcare system because they were like, no, we were on board at the beginning when you told us it was two shots of Pfizer's. Now we're on our second booster shot. I'm out. Yeah, it's four doses. Right? They're, yeah, up they're to talking four about doses. four doses. Now, this is something else. And I'll it still just, doesn't work. This is something else I'll just mention briefly about the media. Now, Israel's cases have come down too, to yep. be transparent. 
100% not sure the reasons why that is, that is. But... After an all-time high. After an all-time high. But the other thing, too, is that our media is reporting that Israel's not as vaccinated as as people think it is. They're only at, like, 60% fully vaccinated. The reason for that is that the Israeli government changed the definition of what fully vaccinated means from two doses to two doses plus your booster. Mm. So they're at, like, 90% double-dosed. Yeah. You're not fully vaccinated if you're only double-dosed. Yeah. Right, and so you see that on Google when you search it on Google, it says fully vaccinated, it doesn't say double dose. That's it right. Says one dose, fully vaccinated. Yeah, so it's it's wordplay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, getting back to Merck, Merck is releasing the new drug Molnupiravir. 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 Molnupiravir is an antiviral drug, <gasps> which and this is a virus, right? Yeah. It's and a what virus. did you say the name was? It's an anti. Viral. Antiviral wow. drug. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like it gets rid of the virus. That's right. That's Shit. right. So there are some very interesting things about molnupiravir. Molnupiravir appears to work if you give it to someone early. Yep. So the first study that came out on molnupiravir where they gave it to hospitalized patients mm. and it didn't appear to work that well. However... Does in, Pfizer work when you're on your deathbed from corona? Um, I don't believe that vaccination works once you've already been affected. So, okay. yeah. Interesting. So, in the first study, they tried to give it to hospitalised patients, and they found that it didn't work very well. Now, Same as the ivermectin study. Fauci kept coming out and pulling himself, saying that in the placebo group, eight people died. Like, he said it like it was a good thing, yeah. because obviously he supported uh, the, the benefits of the drug. But it actually didn't seem to work very well. And as you just suggested, uh, in the last three, four months, whenever you've heard ivermectin be brought up in the media... They have always referred to one study which showed that if you gave it to hospitalised patients, it didn't really do much. Yeah. That was, that's the only negative study for ivermectin yeah. that there is around this. The only negative. That's right. Now, in good news for molnupiravir, they did a new study. And the new study, they gave it to people early. Yeah. And it appeared to have a 50% reduction in hospitalisation and death when you gave it to people early. Just like ivermectin, like we've been talking about for months. Now, uh, one of our doctor friends, Dr. John Campbell, that we, we spoke about briefly last week. He, Backstory, he is a complete pro-vaxxer. 100% he, pro-vax. He, we, we expose ourselves to both sides so yes. we can try and find the truth. Now, also, just to throw it out there, um, anyone who is pro-vax or anti-vax, uh, an antiviral treatment's got nothing to do with that. So stop joining the two together, okay? <laughs> because an antiviral drug is a support for even vaccinated people too yeah. when they get a breakthrough infection. Yeah. You're going to need it because when you are going to get infected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're going to need it. So, so, so listen, listen. So stop trying to link the two together, right? Vaccines, we've had that discussion. It's, it's shelved to the side. In our opinion, vaccination should have been targeted, but we're this far into it anyway, so it'll Just be... sell away. It'll be what it'll be. Yeah. An antiviral drug is a completely different conversation. Now... The conversation we should have had at the start. Yeah, when hundreds of millions of people are already infected, we should have been talking about antiviral drugs. Not which, just staying at home doing nothing? Uh, no, which, which funnily enough, the uh, uh, Monash University and the Doherty Institute did testing on ivermectin in April 2020 and showed that it was um, in cell culture would kill uh, COVID-19 cells within 48 hours. Yeah, 90, what was it 99.8% of it? Yeah, within 48 hours. Anyway... Oh, how many studies did we do after that? Uh, zero. Yeah, funny Exactly that. zero. Yeah. Um, so, molnupiravir has been shown to be to have a 50% reduction in hospitalization and death 
uh, when given early. Now, what is interesting, when you actually compare the two drugs, uh, one of the things they say about ivermectin, so ivermectin, anyone who wants to discredit it, they obviously call it an antiparasitic. Yep. And they're like, this is a virus that's not parasitic. Yep. If you actually read up on ivermectin, it has a broad range sure. of functions. And one of the things that's interesting uh, about these two drugs when you compare the two is half-lives. Right. So if any of you don't know what a half-life is... Excellent game. Excellent awesome, game. awesome franchise. Fantastic franchise. Um, that, that actually was the first glorified scientist in media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, Gordon Freeman. That's right. So a half-life is if you take a chemical compound, it is the amount of time it takes for 50% of that compound to be removed from your body. That's what a half-life is. Now, what is interesting when you, when you compare molnupiravir to ivermectin is that molnupiravir appears to work in smaller doses, mm. but it has a much shorter half-life. Right. So the half-life of molnupiravir is about seven hours, which means that the, the prescription that you'll get for molnupiravir will be taking tablets twice a day right. for five days, I believe. Yep. So it's 10 tablets. Ivermectin, you appear to need to take a higher dose of ivermectin <laughs> Bless you. However, the half-life is like 80 to 90 hours. So this is what lends credence to early on in the pandemic when there was those um, African countries and, and, uh, and Asian countries that take ivermectin weekly to protect like against malaria, yeah. where obviously if you take it on a Sunday, you've got 80 to 90 hours worth of protection from these things mm. and then you just take it again next Sunday. The other thing that's interesting about ivermectin that came out in these studies is that it appears to concentrate in your lungs. And when you've got a respiratory issue, obviously you want the drug to concentrate in your lungs because that's mm. what's going, that's where the, that's the issue is happening. Right? Yeah. So another thing that's interesting about molnupiravir is the cost. <laughs> so how much is ivermectin? Ivermectin, so for a... For a course of ivermectin, which would would prevent, which would be for treatment of COVID nineteen, sure. the course of ivermectin costs fifty three cents. Yeah. How much is molnupiravir? One course of molnupiravir is seven hundred dollars. <laughs> now did we hold on. Just if we rewound back to previous episode, mm -hmm. did we foresee this happening? Did we foresee an ivermectin 2.0 at a at a, a higher price point? Yeah. That is uh, that is uh, a new something yeah, a new, new, a new drug, uh, patent controlled. Yeah, that is also conveniently released after we're about to hit seventy and eighty percent double dose. Made by the company that made, made the cheap one. Oh yeah, did we mention that? <laughs> yeah, we did. So Merck, Merck was the original manufacturer and. Uh, and creator of ivermectin, but ivermectin's been around so long that it's off patent. And again, we're rehashing old news here, but for any new new listeners. Uh, so in other words, they can't make money out of it. Now, right? That's Merck, why it's so cheap. Merck does get a kickback because it's, it's sold under license, but we're talking cents per pill. Yeah, well, when a, when a whole course is 53 cents, it's not going to yeah, be a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. But being so widely utilized, it's it potentially money. could add up, right? Yeah. Now, but I'll give you a tip. Uh, 700 is better. Yeah. And especially and, when they get to keep it all. Yeah. And what was also interesting was that last year when uh, it was being spoken about as potentially uh, being useful, the American government approached Merck and said, do you think that this could work? And they went, nah, 
We'll try to come up with a new drug, though. Hey, put a red casing around that um, ivermectin pill. So Merck got a 300, I think it's $365 million grant from the US government to create a new antiviral drug. It wasn't a grant. It was like a pre-purchase, right? It was like, here's $300 million worth of whatever you're going to create. Uh-uh. Or is was, that what Australia was, did? No, no. No, this, this was a grant. Because the, per- the procurement order from the American government has just come out, too. Okay, and we've got a procurement order. We do. Yep. So Australian government has just bought 300,000 doses. Yeah. Not, not many, right? <laughs> when, you, when you've got... Well, like, we've ordered 60 million vaccines. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. No, it's more than that. Well, we've ordered 60 million, not including the, ones that pre- the AstraZeneca ones that we produce here. Yeah, that's right. Why have we got so many? I don't understand. Well, because of the COVAX scheme, right? Aren't we supposed to donate them to, to poorer countries? Why don't we just give them the thing that works? Go figure. So... <laughs> So, and this brings up another point too, which I'm going to go back to, because this will take you well back. Um, so we bought 300,000 doses. America has just bought 1 million doses. No, sorry. 1.7 million doses of Monupiravir, where they paid a billion dollars to Merck for yeah, it. Right. So they got their $360 million grant to create the drug. Then they got a, a billion dollars for the first order. Yeah. Before anyone says that we are just saying it's ivermectin rebadged, it's a different compound. Different. I've yeah, looked into it. Different. It's a different compound. Yeah. But the good thing is that they already know the function of how ivermectin would work. So if you could create something that's similar to it, that or has maybe does the same thing in a different pathway. In a more targeted way. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, that's fine. So getting back to why this is important. Something that I so said... So before it, you go on, guess what the share price did on that announcement of Merck? It doubled, didn't it? Didn't it go from about 40 bucks to $80? No, 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 no. It's ten, it went up 10 bucks. It went up 10%? Uh, oh, sorry. No. Um, Merck's share price has doubled since mid last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I looked up... So on the same day, what do you... Th- so it went up 10%. Merck went up 10%. What do you think Pfizer did? Dropped. Down 8%. Yeah. Mm. Because everyone realized they'd made as much money out of Pfizer as they could. They sold their Pfizer shares and they pumped it into Merck. Yeah. Uh, because you got to think too, as far as a product goes, like... That's what it works. Well, you can see why it's difficult because the vaccine program is small profit but large volume. Yeah. Whereas Merck, you're only going to give it to sick people. Oh, rats. That's so we need to make it more expensive, yeah. right? That's why the Pfizer vaccine is like 20 bucks a pop, whereas Merck's $700 a treatment. Yeah. So... What, what was the point I was about to make? About 12 months ago on this podcast, I made a comment that said that there is a massive wealth transfer happening in Australia right now, about 12 months ago. Yeah. And one of the points I brought up was testing, and I was criticized for saying that testing was, was too expensive. It was just a, a small example of the larger picture. So let me paint what this wealth transfer looks like. If you are wanting to treat someone who's got COVID-19, if you give them one course of molnupiravir, the great news is it's free to you as a citizen of Australia. But Medicare pays for it. Medicare is funded by our tax dollars. Mm. So it is our money. Mm. One course of molnupiravir is $700. For the same price... We could order 1,500 courses of ivermectin. So you could treat 1,500 people for the same price as one person Mm. with our tax dollars. Now, why is that a wealth transfer? Because you're taking Australian taxpayer money 
and you're sending it to an American company overseas. Mm. That is a wealth transfer, the same way that we did it with Pfizer. Now, we attempted to keep some of the vaccine profits in-house by getting CSL to do a deal to produce AstraZeneca over here. And then what happened? The new news came out where it was giving younger people blood clots. So we obviously didn't do our R&D, or our, our research yeah. properly before we did the deal. And we, we poured all this taxpayer money into a vaccine that we're then going to have to try to export because there wasn't the uptake. Yeah. Because all, and it's not a coincidence that Pfizer got themselves in the box seat early on, have made the majority of the money, which means they've got plenty of cash to splash for marketing. And, and uh, you can bear witness to this. Ask anyone on the street what's the best uh, vaccine around. Oh, Pfizer's the they'll, bomb, man. And they'll say Pfizer. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are going, oh, no. Like, even and that's people. based on nothing. It's based on nothing but yeah. marketing. Yeah. Because so, the best, the most effective one is Moderna. The most effective? Yeah. According to who? Moderna. <laughs> <laughs> now, funny story on that, because Sweden and Denmark have just suspended the use of Moderna in people under the age of 30 this week. Yeah, I'm talking about uh, over 30, and I'm talking about specific use cases that work well for the, yeah. the, 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 the purposes of listing their efficacy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, an interesting... Symptoms, symptoms included. <laughs> death. Yeah. Worse than death. Uh, Ridiculed by your friends. Yeah. Um, ex-friends. What is interesting about the Moderna thing is we've only just recently approved Moderna in Australia. We just bought a massive batch of it. Moderna is the same technology as Pfizer. It's mRNA technology. Moderna has just been suspended for use in under 30s in Sweden and Denmark and some other countries because there is an increased signal. They call it a signal when you see something happening uh, over and over again of heart inflammation issues. That's that myocarditis or pericarditis, which is lining around the heart and being inflamed. Now, what is interesting is that it appears those symptoms happen more in Moderna vaccinated people than in Pfizer vaccinated mm. people. One thing that most people don't know is the doses are different. Moderna's dose is 200 milligrams. Pfizer's is only 60 milligrams. Pfizer's used to be 200 milligrams, but early on in the rollout, they reduced uh, the dosage. After how many... I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know the exact numbers, but all I know is that early on in the process, they reduced the dosage of Pfizer because I believe they were starting to see these signals coming through. Yeah. So anyway, uh, one thing I would probably encourage some people to go and watch as well too, because this is something where your PR firm thing comes into it as well, is you guys may have heard of a small group of people called Project Veritas. And Project Veritas has, over the last two weeks, been releasing uh, expository, expository uh, videos where they have got undercover footage of their journalists recording high-ranking officials from Pfizer and J&J, &J et cetera, et cetera, repeating a lot of these concerns that the uh, conspiracy theorists have had for the last 12 months in private. The most recent video showed a Pfizer scientist saying they have just sent about 3,000 samples for independent testing, not to see whether or not the vaccine works, but to see whether or not it is actually causing heart attacks. Yeah. Now, what is interesting for me about this whole thing, not a squeak of it on social media, yeah. and Project Veritas hasn't been sued by Pfizer yet. Yeah, funny that. So remember how we said with Gladys... If she didn't sue Clive Palmer straight away, then maybe she didn't think that she could win that. Yeah. Well, Pfizer's not sued Project Veritas. Yeah. 
And they've got all the money in the world. And they've got all the money in the world. But obviously, this story hasn't hit anywhere mainstream. You'd think it'd be pretty important to know, yeah. being that in our country at the moment, the government's trying to pretend that there's laws when there's not to get business leaders to get their staff vaccinated when they're, they're going to have no protections if something goes wrong. Yeah. You'd think it'd be big news, but completely shelved. So, let's, because we, we have already gone on a bit longer, let's just quickly segue into predictions. Okay. Okay. Because we, we've covered a lot of subjects, right? So let's segue into predictions. You said you'd written some notes down. Would you like to go first? Well, oh, we've kind of already spoken about it. I just wanted to list out... Uh, I just wanted to list where I think Gladys Berejiklian is going to end up working. Okay, yep. And she's... So my prediction is that she will end up, in the next five years, mm-hmm. she'll end up working for one of the companies that's listed on that PR group's yeah. page. Yeah, so she will get a spot with one of them. That's pretty... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that, so um, and that is... There's some evidence. I won't talk about that. Yeah. That, that now. Wait, did that happen to someone else? High profile from Queensland, maybe? Yeah, I don't... Let's not go with it. <laughs> but, but that's how I've got to that. Yeah, I yeah. use that as a piece of evidence to, to move yeah. forward. One of the other predictions I think is going to happen here in Australia, like we've said, the changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. Well, when you change the guard, if you want to change the results, change the methods of testing... I have no doubt that we're going to move into rapid antigen testing because there is no way that you can let the vaccinated people out in the wild, right? And the vaccinated or the unvaccinated? The vaccinated people out. Okay. So, so the roll oh, yeah, the, the rollout for New South Wales and Victoria is going to be like the vaccinated people will get additional freedoms for a month, mm-hmm. okay? And they're already drip feeding us now, saying the cases will go up. They're going to go stratospheric, right? Mm. And the deaths are going to go up exponentially. Mm-hmm. But you can't blame it on the unvaccinated when they're at home, when they're stuck at home and they don't have freedoms. Now, but you I... can, you can defend it if the numbers all of a sudden come down, and the numbers could come down if we change from PCR testing to rapid antigen testing. So that's my prediction. From the first of November, okay. rapid antigen testing will, will, will come in. The vaccinated mm-hmm. people will be allowed out. Unvaccinated people stuck at home. Yep. For one month. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into mine because mine's a mine's a big a big picture. My big picture is this. One key point piece of information that everyone needs to understand is that Scott Morrison had the ability to stop every single one of these things with a stroke of a pen. Yeah. Because federal government overrules state government on just about everything. So anything in regards to interstate travel and all that sort of stuff could have been fixed by ScoMo if he wanted to at any time. But he hasn't wanted to because obviously these lobby groups that pay the Liberal mm. Party lots of money mm-hmm. have been paying him to not to allegedly. make allegedly. It you would, could argue it you would appear could argue that it would make it's beneficial for that company to That's be able right. to make those ties between those two peoples in regards to implementation of certain policy. That's right. So a prediction I made a little while ago was that Sco- so we got a federal election coming up next year. Scott Morrison's re-election campaign will be based on him being the hero that unlocks the country mm-hmm. and gives us back our freedoms. Mm. He's already started campaigning on that. Mm. He's literally been saying that sort of rhetoric in the we media. We need to get back to work. Australians just need to get back to work. We need to give them their freedoms back. Yeah. Now, he's already started verbal spats with Anastasia Palaszczuk yep. because she is standing in the way of him being able to do that, which is politically convenient because he can say that a Labor Premier is the is the reason why Queenslanders aren't allowed to travel anywhere yeah. or people aren't allowed to go into Queensland to visit relatives mm. and, and he can pull on the heartstrings. So that's the campaign, okay? 
watching New South Wales, they're going to be the tip of the spear. Yep. And the tip of the spear is what is going to be uh, showing or at least portraying the success of the vaccine rollout. Yep. Okay? Because New South Wales has gotten to those figures first. Yep. Right? Now, what you said before about cases going up, I agree and I disagree. And the reason why I disagree is because of something that Kerry Chance said that I heard recently. Yeah. Where, and I think it's from, I'm not sure exactly what the date was. I'd have to look it up. I would assume it's from free, Real Freedom Day on the 1st of December. But not only are they going to rapid antigen testing, which appears to be more accurate. Yeah. Because as we've said before, PCR, we cycle it too high. You can find anything. So you might have had COVID 12 months ago. And I'll still find it. So you're not actually symptomatic. You're not sick. So not only are they going to go to rapid antigen testing, but this is the big key for me. Oh, yeah. Not particularly to say. They are changing the definition of what constitutes a close contact. Yeah. So one of the things that we have said for months and months and months is that PCR testing is problematic because of the high prevalence of false positives. So that's why we keep getting all of these people who've got COVID who portray no negative symptoms. Yeah. You need to be tested to no even know whether or not you've got it. Yeah. Sorry, no negative symptoms of the virus. Yeah, yeah, I should yeah. Say. no symptoms of the virus. Sy- yeah, they're not, they're not, they're asymptomatic. Yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is that we, are, we cycle our PCR tests far too high. So, not only are we going to go to a more accurate test, which mm. will have less false positives, but you will also see a massive drop in the testing rate. Yeah. Because with all these check-in systems and stuff like that, far less people will be notified that they are a close contact than what has been happening yeah. for the last year. Less people getting tested means you find less cases. Yeah. So the case number will just start dropping. Yeah. Okay? They will claim the only reason why the case number is dropping is because of the vaccine rollout. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that you need to remember too is the weather is heating up. Yep. It is not a coincidence that they wanted the vaccine rollout to be finished by the end of winter. Yep. Because if you look back at the deaths and case states... Uh, st- uh, case the, loads. Yeah, death numbers and the case numbers, post-October last year, they fell off a cliff. And they didn't, they didn't really start going up again until March, April, the yeah. year after. Vaccination time. Vaccination rollout started in February, yeah. end of February. Okay. So they, they created this perfect environment where you're going to have hotter weather which and you're allowing people to go outside again too, yeah. remember? Because we all know now that COVID seems to travel less outdoors than it does indoors. So they've got the perfect stacked environment in New South Wales where you've got the high vaccination rate which they were pretending was going to get you to herd, herd immunity. Yeah. It should be called a never heard of immunity. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got the high vaccination rate, which lets them tick the box. You've got cases dropping, which lets them tick the box and they can yep. thank you vaccinations yep. for it. Then you've got the change in close contacts. So obviously less testing, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it just snowballs and makes them look really, really good. Okay. ScoMo then uses New South Wales to force the other states into reopening yep. and doing the same things. And you've got to remember too, these national cabinet meetings they have over Zoom all the time, it's him talking to all the leaders. They know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Can can you get a live stream feed of the national cabinet meetings? Oh no, you can't. They're um, privileged. Yeah, they're privileged. So you can't even you can't even listen to what's being spoken yeah. about. So 
all of this stuff, I, I honestly believe by for all the states, probably early next year, January, yeah. where it'll I, be it'll be a new year, everything will be all good. I'll be leading into December because I think they'll want to they'll want Christmas to be awesome. Agreed. I think to start campaigning. I think for it election. all depends on Dan Andrews and what happens this week. I think yeah. this week is very very important. Yeah. Because if Dan Andrews is able to hold his position, he still needs to get like the vaccination level up. They're not Operation the Danbo Drop. Danbo Drop. Let's get that hat yeah, <laughs> trending yeah. on Twitter. So, so yeah, that that is the prediction. And obviously, now they're going to be saying that it's safe for you to go out and get COVID because the great news is we've got Molnupiravir. Which we can we can use to treat it's anyone. February, March next year, isn't it? I'm not sure when it actually arrives. Yeah, I thought I thought I heard first quarter next year. They might give people off-label ivermectin in the meantime just to bridge the gap. Um, but also, actually, one one point I forgot to make about Merck and ivermectin versus molnupiravir. Yeah. I went looking for the article about molnupiravir when I first heard about it on the news, and I, I tried to find it. The first article that came up was a link to the TGA website. Right. The TGA, (laughs) in August this year, the TGA invited Merck to apply for provisional approval of Molnupiravir. Now, what does provisional approval mean? Because a lot of y'all don't understand what it means. It doesn't mean it's approved. It means it's approved based on the evidence available at the time. And after a certain period of time will be reassessed for a benefit and if there is no benefit or if it's high risk, they remove it from... I don't know how um, you could misunderstand it in the term provisionally approved. Um, yeah, it's like having... Yeah, it's probably... It's, it's a P-plate. It's a P-plate. It's yeah. a P-plate for the drug. Yeah, and you don't just automatically get off your... No. P-plate. That's right. So, but, but there is a misconception that the vaccines are completely approved. They're not. They are provisionally approved until 2023. So as the Fair Work Commissioner said in her statement uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, these vaccines are still part of a trial till 2023. There is nothing lawful about mandating an experimental drug. Yep. Okay? Now, back to the TGA. In August, the TGA, they invited Merck to apply for provisional approval of molnupiravir in Australia. A month later, they banned doctors from prescribing ivermectin. <laughs> because of social media posts. Because of social media posts. Yeah. And because uh, it's used as horse paste. That's right. And because it's horse paste. Um, so, again, just joining the dots, perhaps someone has a financial interest in, in Monupiravir doing well. Mm. And it's your taxpayer dollars that are now going to go towards funding... Yeah, so what, what's that? So if we, we just go, our first order is 300,000 doses mm-hmm. and it's $700 a dose. Sorry, 300,000 courses because it's 10 pills. There's $70 a pill. So 300,000 courses at $700 a pop is what, $21 million? Mm. Whereas if we had 300,000 courses of ivermectin, it's $150,000. It's a very big difference in taxpayer money. Dude, for- I could pay for the rollout of... A big spender. <laughs> bam, 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 I could be the hero if I was allowed to, but I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to help. Um, you would be able to treat six hundred thousand COVID positive patients 
with the amount of money that Gladys Berejiklian is going to give up over the next 12 months by resigning early. (laughs) If you you redirected the funds from blind trust paying elected officials court fees... (laughs) You could you could pay for the old make to roll out for show one. Are you guys getting it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, just a closing note. Yeah. Um, we've seen we've spoken a lot about corruption. Yeah. Now, none of this corruption is new. We need to understand no. it. There's been corruption. There there will always be and always has been corruption. How many series of Underbelly have there been released? Yeah. Too many. <laughs> I cannot wait for Underbelly 2030. Yeah. It's going to be lit. So, we might even be on it. Jordan Shanks will be on it for sure. So, oh, yeah, he'll be on it. He'll be on it. So, and thank you to uh, Jordan Shanks. Too. What, a, what a cracking job. Oh, yeah. Um, so, the lesson out of this is don't believe them. Yeah. Don't believe them. You know they're corrupt. We know it. We yeah. know it. But we just, it, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy to think that they're looking after us. Yeah, but what I'm going to say too on that, and this is this is another uh, psychological trick they've used. There is not only a divide between vaccinated and unvaccinated. They've created a divide between educated and uneducated yeah, 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 in yeah. this country. And essentially what they've tricked educated people into thinking is that only uneducated people question the narrative. Yeah. So if you out yourself as someone who questions things, you're outing yourself as being uneducated and being unintelligent. Mm. And like, really, if, if you, you think if about you're that. hearing for this for the first time, yeah. just think about it. Just think about it. Yeah. Because it is true. Like the, the ivermectin thing, for example, they're trying to say that people were taking horse dewormer. Yeah. Because that makes them sound stupid. Yeah. Right? Because most normal people don't take horse dewormer. Yeah. But they did that on purpose to make them sound stupid, to make them sound unrefined. So to make it sound so ridiculous that a really educated person wouldn't even look into it. Yeah. Because why would you? That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Look at these silly commoners. The first three conversations I had with people literally went down the horse paste. Yeah. I think straight away. Because they're giving it. They're, mm-hmm. they're giving you the ammunition. That's right. But it's making you look real stupid. That's right. The difference between conspiracy theory and a... And the truth is about six months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing too is something that I've become more and more mindful of. And I think that this, this is something that we are acutely aware of because we have been in a sales environment. But I think a lot of people never really stop to consider what sort of financial ramifications there are around decisions. Because a lot of people, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, so my wife, she's a school teacher. She works for a private school. Any school teacher, anyone who gets into teaching does it because they want to teach kids. Yeah. They want to give kids the best outcome. And sometimes some decisions get made at not only the school she's at now, but at other schools she's been at in the past where she goes, but this doesn't give the best outcome for the kids. Mm. And because they're a business, there has to be some sort of financial benefit or sometimes you won't do something because it might be a financial detriment. And Mm. I'm not saying that they're evil. I'm just saying the realities of business are you need to make proper business decisions. Otherwise, you don't make money and or you you fail and the whole thing goes under. We've talked about the healthcare system before. Public hospitals, it sounds like they're free and they're just government funded. They're still a business. You have to run them like a business. Otherwise, you just get wastage or or whatever Mm. the case may be. There are financial incentives in place in every aspect of our lives. It's called economy for a reason. That's right. And and when when anyone goes, um, 
like when COVID kicked off last year and people were going, we need to open up because the economy's suffering, that everyone goes, it's not all about money. A lot of it's about money. Yeah. Because the economy allows us to feed ourselves. Yeah. The economy is what gives us the means to live the lives that we want to live. But you need to understand something that I said towards the beginning of this podcast, all it takes is one bad actor. Yep. And the problem is when you're indoctrinated into a system where you're like, I'm educated, therefore I believe what the other educated person above me tells me, all it takes is one bad actor to get in the ear of the wrong person. And again, they might not be paid off. They might be tricked. Yeah. They might be hoodwinked. Yeah. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's right. That is probably the best way to sign this off. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's right. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. We'll see you next RDA. Bye.